What a joy to be here with you this morning. It's great to be in the state of Wisconsin where I was born and bred from Kenosha. And now I'm living down in Illinois, but I am always glad to come back to Wisconsin. And it's great to be representing New Covenant Bible Church and Word Partners and teaming up with River Hills, uh, your elders, this uh, spring and summer to preach through 1 Samuel. I hope it will be a real blessing and encouragement to your church. And it's been an, an encouragement to uh, just know your pastor Steve through the years and to stand with him and, and just pray for him and for your church as you guys have been going through transition. And I'm really glad that we can be here. It was great to hear uh, Troy lead the, the service this morning, minister to the children, the worship team, leading us in music and singing. And, and uh, then I don't think it was Jonathan Meyer who read the scripture this morning, but it was wonderfully and enthusiastically read by our sister in Christ. Thank you so much. I remember years ago going through Geneva, Switzerland, and touring the sites of that city where in the 16th century, God did a powerful work of his spirit reviving and, and, and awakening his church. And during that, that tour of the city, the site that stood out most to me was the Reformation Wall. I don't know if any of you have ever been, ever been there, but there's this great wall and carved on it are the statues of these leaders from the Reformation period. And in Latin is this inscription, post tenebras, Lux, post tenebras lux, which means after darkness, light. That's what God did back in the 16th century. And the way he did it was through the word of God. During that period of time, the word of God was flowing powerfully through the city of Geneva and from Geneva into Europe and literally around the world from there. Uh, that, that was a time when they mandated six sermons a week be preached and listened to, and God's word really caught a hold of the people's hearts. And we're going to see something like that here in 1 Samuel 3. This was a dark time in Israel's history. It was the time of the judges where there was no king in Israel, and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Whatever seemed right to them, they did. It was so dark that even the sons of the priest were blaspheming the Lord and stealing the people's sacrifices and sleeping with women right in the temple. And you can read about that in chapter 2. But today we're going to see that God is still present among his people and he's not going to stay silent. The light of God's word is going to penetrate the darkness of Israel. Maybe you noticed how this chapter begins and ends. Look again at verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. But then look down at verse 19 where it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came 
to all Israel. You can see the transformation in this narrative. At the beginning of this story, God's word is only a dimly flickering light in Israel. But at the end of the story, God has raised up Samuel as his prophet. And through Samuel, the word of the Lord is coming to all of Israel. Dale Ralph Davis describes it in his commentary, Yahweh's people find no prophet without a prophet, and Yahweh is about to profitably profit them. That's what's happening in this story. And isn't that what we long to see happen in our world today? We long to see the word of the Lord flowing powerfully through River Hills Community Church, through Janesville, through Wisconsin, and to all the nations of the world. So what, what can we learn from this story about the God who speaks and causes his light to shine in the darkness? Well, this is the main lesson we learn from this passage. When God wants to change a culture, he does it by raising up people and churches who hear his word and who faithfully proclaim his word to others. When God wants to change a culture, he does it by raising up people and churches who hear his word and who faithfully proclaim it to others. So let's trace the movement of God's word through this story. First, we see that the word of the Lord was rare. In verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Maybe you've heard this proverb from Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Or as the Christian Standard Bible puts it, without revelation, people run wild. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. And this was the problem with Israel in the days of Samuel's childhood. People were rarely hearing from God. Men of God were rarely receiving visions or revelations of God's word. It only happened occasionally. Like if you look back at chapter 2 in verses 27 through 36, a man of God came to Eli, the priest, and pronounce God's judgment on him and his household. And we're going to see that happening in this chapter. But this wasn't taking place very often. Prophetic visions were not widespread. There was very little revelation from God. And the people were running wild. They were casting off restraint. Doing whatever they saw fit. When, God's, when people preferred darkness rather than light... Sometimes God withdraws his word and lets people wander around in the darkness that they prefer. And it's an awful judgment from the Lord when he does that. The prophet Amos speaks of a time when there's going to be a famine in Israel. Not a famine of bread or water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And he says people are going to roam all over the place, to the north and the south, searching for a word from God, but they're not going to be able to find it. It's a dreadful thing. And you might think, well, that could never happen in our day because we have the completed Bible. There's no possibility that we could experience a famine of the word of the Lord when 
when we have the Bible. But the word of the Lord can become rare, not just because God isn't giving it. It can become rare because we aren't receiving it. We can become dull of hearing. We can lose our appetite for the word of God. Think about it, church. How long could you go without the word of the Lord in your life? How many days, if the Bible was taken away from you, say for a week, before you'd miss it? If you couldn't hear the word of the Lord preached for a whole month, what difference would it make in your life? Do you recognize what a gift it is to have a God who speaks and to hear him speaking to you through his word? If it wouldn't make a difference for you to go without the word of God for a week or a month, today God is calling you to repent of taking this precious gift for granted. And it reminds us when we read a verse like this, the word of the Lord was rare to pray like the psalmist does in Psalm 119, verse 43, where he says, never take your word of truth from my mouth. Don't take it from me, for I've put my hope in your laws. Don't you long to have God speaking to you afresh again and again and again. The good news is that God is eager for his people to hear his voice. Being in a covenant relationship with God is not like being in a marriage that has grown cold and distant where you're no longer on speaking terms with your spouse. God is so gracious to us in coming to us again and again, and he always takes the initiative Again and again, throughout history, God has brought life to his people through his word. He did it in Samuel's time, and he's doing it with much more clarity and fullness today. Let's see how God breaks the silence, beginning in verse 2. This is the second movement of the narrative this morning. The Lord breaks the silence. In verse 2, we see that Eli's physical condition is a reflection of his and Israel's spiritual condition. It says, his eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see. That's not just a physical thing. Spiritually, there's very little vision of God right now. And he's lying down in his own place, it says in verse 2. It's nighttime. He's old, he's tired, he's in his bed. The man that Israel is counting on to represent them before God is feeble and frail and ineffectual. And who's next in the line of succession? Hophni and Phinehas, these dreadful, wicked sons of his. The future seems bleak for the people of God, but in verse 3, we see there's a boy who's lying down in a different place. He's close to the ark of the Lord, the place where God's covenant with his people sits in safekeeping. And we're told that the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. That means there's hope for God's people. The light is still flickering. And there's verses 4 through 10. The key word in these verses is the word Call. This is the main action verb in this section. It appears 11 times in the Hebrew text in those verses. 
But it takes a while for young Samuel to recognize who's calling him. Three times in the middle of the night, he hears a voice, but he thinks it's Eli. And Eli doesn't seem to mind being woken up in the middle of the night. He calls Samuel, my son. That's pretty nice to say to someone who's waking you up. And he tells him to go back to bed. Verse 7 explains why Samuel isn't getting the message right away. Look at what it says. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. This is a jarring statement if you remember what was said about Eli's sons in chapter 2, verse 12. They were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. But the connotation here in verse 7 of chapter 3 is different. The the word that makes the difference in verse 7, look at verse 7. What's the word that makes the difference? It's the word yet. (laughs) Eli's sons were worthless because they had the law of God and they despised it. They rejected the knowledge of God. But Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the experience of having the Lord come and speak to him through his word was something that Samuel had not yet experienced. He's been dedicated to the Lord from his birth. He's been growing with the Lord, enjoying the favor of the Lord. We even read at the beginning of the chapter that he has been ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. But up until this point in his life, the Lord had not yet revealed his word to Samuel. And this is going to be the night that sets his life on a whole new trajectory. This is how we get to know the Lord. It's when he opens up his word to us, when he reveals himself to us through his word. In verses 8 and 9, the Lord calls Samuel the third time. Now, you know what it's like when you've been woken up in the middle of the night if you're Over 50, and it happens more than once or twice, you might as well just give up on going back to sleep. Just bake your oatmeal and get up and have a cup of coffee because you're not getting any more sleep. And so Eli's been awake for a while, and he's been pondering this unusual series of nighttime interruptions. And he finally realizes what's going on, and he tells Samuel what to do in verse 9. Eli said to Samuel, go. Lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Isn't that a great posture to be in? Lying down, still, in the presence of the Lord, ready to listen to whatever he has to say to you in submission. It's one of my favorite little prayers in the whole Bible. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I'd encourage you to take that little prayer with you this week and to use it often when you open your Bible. Before you read anything, say, speak, Lord, For your servant hears, I'm waiting, Lord. I'm ready to receive what you want to say to me. In verse 10, the Lord comes to Samuel. 
The covenant God who reveals himself personally now calls to Samuel for the fourth time, this time repeating his name twice for emphasis. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responds, speak. (laughs) Yes, speak for your servant hears. I wonder if he was trembling in awe, afraid to even utter the divine name, the Lord, Yahweh. For the first time, the word of the Lord is going to be revealed to this boy that Hebrew tradition says was around 12 years old. And from him, the word of the Lord is going to flow to all the people of Israel. Some of you in the congregation this morning are younger and you wonder, does my life make a difference? Well, look here. Here's a young man, and God is going to work through him from his childhood all the way until his old age to preserve a whole nation from going off the deep end in utter destruction. Thank God for how he uses young people. After the darkness of the time of Judges, the light of God's word is going to shine brighter and brighter until all the people of Israel are aware they have a God who is active in their midst, a God who reveals himself, a God who speaks. Now, you might be wondering, how is Samuel's experience of being woken up in the middle of the night instructive for us today? Should we expect the same thing to happen? Well, probably not exactly the same way. Uh, God is raising up a prophet for Israel here, and that's not exactly what he's doing in our lives today. But friends, we live in a time of revelation from God that is so much fuller, so much richer than Samuel could have ever imagined The book of Hebrews that we heard from this morning opened up with those beautiful words long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, through whom uh, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The best the fullest revelation God could possibly give us, he has given us in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's final prophet. He's not only a man like Samuel to whom God revealed his word. Jesus is himself the eternal word, one with God the Father, sent from God the Father in the fullness of God the Spirit to reveal God in all his fullness to us. Like we read from John 1, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and in the closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known to us. Jesus is the fullest revelation of God. And you might be thinking, well, that was true in the first century when Jesus walked on the earth, but what about us in the 21st century? Well, good news, friends. Jesus is on earth today as we worshiped him, the risen king. He's on earth today through his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is actively revealing Jesus to people all around the world today when they read the word of God in the Bible and hear Christ proclaimed in all the scriptures. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us and we need to pay close attention when he speaks to us through the word through the Bible because this is God's revelation. So maybe we shouldn't expect God to wake us up in the middle of the night with an audible voice 
but we can expect the same God who revealed himself to Samuel to reveal himself to us in his word. And we can expect him to be as patient and kind with us as he was with Samuel. Do you ever feel like it's taking you a long time to learn the Bible? Do you ever wish that you had a quicker comprehension? I know I do. Sometimes I can get a little frustrated with myself that I'm so slow to learn. But look at how patient God was with Samuel. He didn't chide him. He didn't say, Samuel, after the second time, get your act together and listen. He kept coming to him again and again and again. It reminds me of when I was taking piano lessons in Kenosha as a child. I started in second grade and in junior high, my mom and dad got me a teacher and she was so stern. (laughs) She was so strict. Every time I went into her studio, I just started shaking. <laughs> My legs would shake. I, I was so afraid I was going to make a mistake because every time I messed up, she made me feel so bad until finally I remember getting in my mom's car after piano lessons one day and said, Mom, I want to quit. I'm done. I don't want to take piano any longer. And my mom said, oh, no, you've got to keep at this. And so they found me a new teacher, Mr. Stewart. And Mr. Stewart was so kind, so gentle, so patient, he fanned into flame the gift that was in me so that by the end of high school, I was playing Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, uh, two pianos, four hands with Mr. Stewart at my senior recital. That was the high point of my piano career. It's been downhill from there. (laughs) But Mr. Stewart, his patience, his kindness helped me to take the next step. And that's how the Holy Spirit is with us. He has many things he wants to teach us. And we shouldn't be ashamed if it's taking us a while to learn them. He's willing to give us time to understand. He knows how to modify his instruction to fit our condition. Don't think of him as a gruff, impatient drill sergeant. Think of him as a kind and patient teacher. Now, As we learn God's word, we have to be ready to receive everything he shows us. And the message he gives us in his word at times may be bracing. When God speaks, he doesn't just give us what our itching ears want to hear. And in Samuel's case, the first revelation he received from God was a hard one to receive. It was a confirmation of what the prophet said to Eli back in chapter 2. In the law of Moses, no one could be condemned without the testimony of two or three witnesses. And in this case, Samuel is going to become the second witness of God's word of judgment against Eli. And we heard it read to us in verses 11 through 14, where the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And he says, at the end of that word of judgment in verse 14, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. What a dreadful message to receive. But it's so necessary to hear. What happens to people when they despise the only way 
God has provided for the atonement of sin. If people despise and reject the sacrifice God has ordained, the book of Hebrews says, if you, if you reject Jesus, then no sacrifice for sins remains. He's the only way. He's the one God has provided. So don't reject him. Because if you reject him, where else are you going to turn? And it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you haven't a mediator from God and haven't received the, the sacrifice that he has made. The whole point of the Bible is to lead us to embrace God's son, Jesus, as the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. You could search the whole scriptures and learn the Bible from cover to cover, but if you miss Jesus, if you don't come to Jesus, you won't find eternal life. Every chapter of the Bible is flowing toward this point. Calvary, as we sang this morning. Christ and him crucified. That's the point of it all. Eli and his sons are despising the sacrifices of the Lord. And there's not going to be any atonement for that sin. Because they're rejecting the only way God has provided. So we've seen that the word of the Lord was rare in Samuel's day. But God graciously broke the silence by speaking to this young man and giving him his word to deliver first to Eli and his sons and then to all of Israel. And the last thing we're going to see this morning is that when the word of the Lord comes to a people, there is a responsibility upon those who've heard God's word. What will we do with the word God has spoken to us? That's our last point this morning. How shall we respond to the God who speaks? Now, first, I want you to notice that the person who hears God's word has a responsibility not to keep that word to himself or herself. In verses 15 through 18, we see that Samuel is nervous. This is the first time he's received a revelation from the Lord, and it is a scary word. Obviously, there's fatherly affection between Samuel and Eli. Eli's calling him my son, and Samuel is afraid. He doesn't want to tell the vision he's received to this man who's like a father to him. So he lays in his bed until morning, we read in verse 15. I doubt he slept a wink. And he goes back to his priestly duties early in the morning, opening the doors of the house of the Lord, and he's doing his best to avoid Eli. But Eli calls Samuel, and he demands to hear what God has spoken to him. And he even pronounces a curse upon him if he doesn't tell him the whole thing. Verse 17, what was the message he gave you, Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he has told you. And here's the key. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Let that sink in. Samuel told him everything and hid what? Nothing from him. And Eli submitted to the word of the Lord. And he said, it is the Lord. 
Let him do what seems good to him. Now, even though Eli has failed in many ways, this may be a moment of mercy for him. Judgment is going to come. But in chapter 4, Eli is going to be watching and trembling for the ark of the Lord, trembling before the Lord. Perhaps his heart is repentant. Perhaps the fear of the Lord is in him. Perhaps for him, the judgment that is coming will ultimately result in mercy on his soul. But he needed to hear these words of judgment, didn't he? He needed to hear everything that the Lord had spoken. Samuel needed to make sure that he hid nothing from Eli. It is sobering to know God's message of judgment on humanity's sin. Because what are we going to do with the words we have heard from God? I'm confident this is a church that knows the truth about sin and judgment. This is a church that knows the sacrifice that God has provided in Jesus for humanity's sin, and we know the way of escape. Do you realize how many people in Janesville and how many people in Wisconsin do not know that truth? How many people have blind eyes and deaf ears and are rushing toward judgment without knowing that there's a way of escape? Will we be faithful to speak God's word to others even when it's not a popular message? This is what moved the prophets of the Old Testament. They knew that God had entrusted a word to them and that they had to proclaim it. Otherwise, if they didn't, they would have people's blood on their hands. They didn't want that. And the same thing moved the apostles of the New Testament. Even when they were thrown into prison and beaten, and they were warned to speak no more to anyone in the name of Jesus. What did Peter and John say? Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We've got to tell the message. I mean, the Apostle Paul tells us why. He says, the love of Christ constrains us. And in another place, he says this, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade people. I am compelled to preach, Paul says, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You see, we, we've been entrusted with something. We've got to share it with others. We must not keep it to ourselves. We must faithfully deliver it. Another thing that we see about how we shall respond to the God of revelation, to the God who speaks, is I want you to notice in verse 19, just the confidence, (laughs) the confidence we can have in the power of God's word. This should encourage us to speak what we've heard. Verse 19 says, and Samuel grew And the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. I love the concreteness of the Hebrew language here. When it says God let none of his words fall to the ground, it means none of them ever rotted. None of them ever fell to pieces. None of them just evaporated and disappeared in thin air. They never passed away. 
The words that Samuel spoke to Israel never failed to have their effect. And the reason is when Samuel spoke, he spoke as the prophet of the Lord. And the word of the Lord abides forever. The word of the Lord will not fail. Martin Luther said, the word of a human being is like a little sound that goes out into the air and disappears. <laughs> but the word of God is heavier than heaven and earth. Indeed, it outweighs the heavens and the earth, and it will outlast them. Because human words will pass away. But God's word never passes away. Which means, whenever you hear the word of God, it is never a neutral experience. You can never walk away from it saying, oh, that was nice. In one ear and out the other. You might think you can ignore God's word, but God's word is going to boomerang back and have an effect on your life. It's going to demand a reckoning. Every word you've heard. Either you will hear the word of God and submit to its power in your life, and be transformed by it. Or in the end, the word that you have ignored and despised will come back and break you. It's like a hammer. It breaks the stony rock of our hearts into pieces. If you try to break the word of God, in the end it will break you. He can't escape it. But if you receive God's word... It will make you, in the end, a person who is unbreakable. God's word will give birth to eternal life in you, a life that's imperishable and will never fade away. None of God's words will ever fall to the ground. This is our confidence. This is why we preach. This is why we study and read and learn the word of God and share it with others. This is why our hope for the transformation of our culture does not lie in Madison or in Washington, D.C. Our hope is not in getting the right politicians elected and the right legislation passed. Our hope is in the revival of Christ's church. When the word of God flows powerfully through the church to our nation, there's no telling what kind of transformation can occur. And if the word of the Lord is rare in our land, it could be because God's people don't have enough confidence in God's word to share it with others. So let's be people who are so confident in God's word that no matter what cultural conditions we're facing, we will joyfully and faithfully and lovingly speak his word to the people God has placed in our lives. Because when we speak God's words, we speak words that cannot be broken. The final thing I want you to see in terms of our response to the God who speaks is I just want you to be encouraged by the purpose of God's word. Why does God speak to us? Well, it's in the final verse of chapter three. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. Here it is. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Listen, God doesn't speak to us just to fill our minds with Bible trivia. God doesn't speak to us just so that we can know more theology. God speaks to reveal 
himself. A living God, a personal God, a covenant God who calls us into relationship with himself. What did Jesus pray to his father in John 17 right before he went to die for us? Jesus said to his father, and this is eternal life, that they would know the Bible? No. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, to know God himself. We don't read the Bible and listen to the Bible just to know the Bible. We read the Bible and listen to the Bible so we can know the Lord who reveals himself in the Bible. And whenever we come to his word hungry to know him, he doesn't leave us famished. He comes to us again and again, just as he appeared to Samuel at Shiloh, and he reveals himself in his word. I love the way the, the missionary Jim Elliott wrote in his journals about the Bible. He, he, he put a sentence that just says this, the Bible is Christ in print. Christ in print. Because here is where he reveals himself to us. So let us pray that as his word is open to us, we would see Jesus ever more clearly. And as we see Jesus in his word, that we would share his word with all whom he sends into our lives with confidence that his word will not fall to the ground. Amen? Amen. Praise God.